Shabbat Shalom. It is good to have Shabbat. No one? Yeah? You don't think it's good to have Shabbat? I'm on a caffeine-free thing right now, so I'm having a coffee-less Shabbat, so it, you know, it's tampering with it, but it's still Shabbat. Everyone say, ah, ah, Shabbat. Uh, today, we are uh, going to be talking about called and confused. Yes, that's for you, Gage. Uh, the streak is alive. Um, called and confused. Um, this week's tour portion, we talk about priests, as Gage pointed out. Have any of you guys ever wanted to be a priest? No? Too intimidating, huh? Priests get to do really cool things. Um, priests are kind of intimidating. Priests have... Uh, an amazing service. Um, this this last week, uh, something uh, happened in the news. You see that uh, Billy Graham passed away, and uh, you know, despite your opinions or you know anyone wants to shake their fist or do whatever, um, Billy Graham was a really big figure for the kingdom of God, and he did a lot of you know great things for people. Uh, maybe many people in this room are you know, have come into faith or their parents or their grandparents came into faith because of the work that this uh, person has done. We see people like Billy Graham. We see amazing figures in the kingdom of God. We see the priesthood. We see the amazing patriarchs and fathers of the faith. And we see people like David and all these amazing characters. And sometimes it's really intimidating. Close your eyes with me and think of a time where maybe God touched your heart, spoke to you, maybe someone you trust and love prayed over you or said some words to you or maybe you just felt it in your spirit or your heart that you were called to something or a specific type of service or ministry or task. Think about the times you have felt called to something. You can open your eyes. How many, how many of you have felt called immensely to something? How many of you have felt that I have not fulfilled my calling? In fact, I might not even be on the path or road to my calling. In fact, I don't know where that calling is. And if someone can tell me, that would be awesome because I think I lost it. Anyone? This is true for many of us. And, and especially um, younger people, I think, as well. When we think of the kingdom of God, and when we see amazing figures like Billy Graham and the life that they have and what they were encouraged, or when we see, you know, priests or, or these crazy biblical characters, and then we think about our own lives in comparison, sometimes we feel kind of embarrassed and ashamed, and we you know, look to God and we say, God, am I doing enough? Where am I going because I'm lost? I want to serve you. I want to follow you, but I'm just feeling like this isn't working out. Have you not called me anymore? Do you not have some great plan for me? Have you given up? Have I made too many mistakes? And we begin to doubt ourselves and ask certain questions um, about our lives. I want to look at uh, 
For example, Abraham. When you think about Abraham and the beginning of Abraham's calling, what did Abraham actually do? What was so great and awesome and amazing about the person of Abraham? He obeyed. He believed, and because he believed, he obeyed. God said, hey, come over here. And he said, okay. <laughs> and when you actually look at the life of Abraham, and when you're actually kind of scanning it out and observing someone even as intimidating of, of a biblical figure as Abraham, you know, the father of the faith, is really not, and forgive me for being maybe a little sacrilegious here, don't throw the tomatoes, but he's really not that impressive of a guy. In fact, he makes some big mistakes. But he hears the voice of God, and he answers, and he does it. Now, I grew up in a charismatic background. Um, I grew up in a very charismatic background. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. Um, and there are people who will pray for God to reveal the parking spot that they're supposed to park in on their way to church. You know, there are people who, when it comes to God's will, they have to know it all. Like, Father, what pants do I put on this morning, right? And, and they want to be extremely directed by God's will. And there are those who are like, you know, eh, whatever. Turn with me to the book of Micah, chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah 6, 8 is really an encouraging verse. Where he says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? To do justly. You know, when we talk about justice, when we talk about uh, mishpat in the Torah, uh, oftentimes it's, it's all the commandments that are associated with how we uh, work in our community and how we work with one another as spouses, as, um, you know, parents and children um, in our faith communities. Uh, this, this idea of justice has to do with how we treat one another, how we deal and interact with one another. It's the commandments that say when something is done wrong and where harm is caused, there is a, a, a restoration and a restitution that's made. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? To do what's right. To, to follow God's example of how we interact with one another in all of our relationships. To love mercy or kindness or loving kindness or, you know, this idea of chesed. This character of God that is, is this unconditional love even when the other party does you wrong. Because in order to really function as God's people, it can't be purely justice. Because as we know, we all screw up quite a bit. It can't also be just mercy or just the loving kindness. Because then anything goes and nothing functions. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, mercy, loving kindness to one another, and to walk humbly with your God. 
to walk humbly with your God. When we look at the biblical figures, almost all of them had a humility in their calling. They weren't pushing their own agenda. They weren't saying, you know, no, this is what it is and this is how it's going to be. But they all usually were the people who would fall on their face first before God and say, God, is this really, are you sure you don't have anyone else? Are you sure this is what you're having me do? And when they were uncertain, they would turn to God. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Did Abraham know what was going to come later in his life and what he was going to do? Did God reveal him the, the entire, you know, story of his life and, and what his family was of it? No, he was absolutely clueless. But it, God said of him, I know he's going to teach his children to do righteousness and justice. I know he's going to exemplify my character and I know he's going to walk humbly. Was Abraham's life impressive? Is Abraham's legacy impressive? Do you think Abraham knew that kids on the other side of the world, which wasn't a thing back then, right? Um, thousands of years later, we're going to be like in little buildings singing Father Abraham, right? I think Abraham, he would be freaked out. He'd be like, whoa. Man, how did, you know? He didn't, he didn't know. He didn't realize. But we consider him an amazing pillar, an amazing figure of the faith. Many times we see these phenomenal figures who have done such amazing things, David, Moses, that we forget about the people who simply just obeyed. And God used them in ways that they could have never imagined. You have people who are good fathers and husbands. Joseph, the father of Yeshua. An unsung, right, character of, of the faith. It's not someone we really usually put up on a pedestal and think highly of. But yet he played a big part in God's plan just simply by being a good husband by trusting what the Lord was doing with his wife. By having honor in that scenario and doing the right thing. Or a great mother. Think of Yocheved, Yochebed, right? The, the, the mother of Moses. Simple actions that then changed the world, but someone who is not necessarily someone we, we think of and go to when we talk about amazing figures and heroes of the faith. Or even just a good friend, like Jonathan. Most of the biblical characters, when you closely examine their lives, when you read what they went through, and when you read their interaction with God, they didn't have any clue what they were getting into. They were just willing to say yes, to do the right thing, and to be humble before the call of God. And who was the one who made it miraculous in each of those scenarios? God. 
God took simple obedience and service and love and humility and positioned it in a way that served the kingdom. Some of them in great, phenomenal, crazy ways. And some of them in very modest ways that you don't realize, but when you actually look at it, they made a huge impact for the kingdom of God. And we have to remember this because when we ask ourselves, what am I supposed to do? And you feel unfulfilled and you feel like you don't know. And you feel like something crazy has to happen. And you look at ministry figures or, you know, missionaries who pulled, you know, went into this tribe that no one had ever been to before and, you know, totally changed this area. And you're like, gosh, I don't do anything like that for God. But it's not true. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. there's something we don't realize and we understand it mentally and we would agree with it and affirm it but we don't truly realize it and that's this Proverbs 69 a man's heart plans his way but the Lord is the one who directs his steps Joseph didn't realize prison right was going to be his time to shine (laughs) God directed his steps Each one of us have opportunities right in front of us. And what we need to realize is that the time period we're born in, the place we're born in, the family we're born into, the communities that we have, the relationships and friendships that have come into our lives, each and every one of those are the opportunities and the callings that God has. And when you look at all the biblical figures, they didn't do anything beyond these character traits, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God in just whatever scenario God had put them in at the time. And it was God who decided what to do with it. Close your eyes with me once again. And think of someone you know who is lonely and hurting deeply in their heart. Think about someone you know who has a lot of potential but is shying off from their faith community and their relationships. And you can tell that something is really hurting them or eating them up. Think about your own family your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your children. And do they know that they're loved? And have they had a good example to look up to? And do they have your shoulder to lean on? And are you exemplifying the character of Messiah to them at the highest potential that you can? Open up your eyes. You see, the, re- the reality is the world today is not so much messed up because of less Billy Grahams. But the world today has its problems 
because of friends who aren't stepping up, because of fathers who aren't being there for their children, because of spouses who aren't being who their spouses need to be. In reality, those are the things that make or break our communities and have a greater effect on our nation and our faith, our community. But we don't think about it like that, right? We think there's like some mystery. There's some hidden secret thing that God is keeping from me. And if I can just find it out, if I can just complete all five volumes of the five keys to understanding God's true will for my life, then, you know, I'll, I'll have it figured out. Here's another verse. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 29, 29. See, that's just not how it works. And wouldn't we love it to work like that? Wouldn't we love to just, God just tells me, oh, no, you're supposed to go this place and do this. And I say, okay. And it's just simple and easy and I do it. And now, like I'm some great hero of the faith. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things are for who? God. And the revealed things are for who? Us. Many times when we um, go through our Bibles, and we study our Bibles, and we look at Scripture, um, and we go in with a highlighter. I, I'm not a fan of highlighters, but I know a lot of people like, you know. Um, we always highlight God's parts and we always wonder about God's parts and we always wonder what God's going to do in our life. And when it comes to even our calling, this topic, we wonder what great things God is going to accomplish when God's part is going to be done by who? God. <laughs> and guess who is really good at doing God's part? God. He's awesome at it. 10 out of 10, never fails, always confusing, but he works it out and he does his part. Guess whose part, guess who does our part? Us. <laughs> and guess what? God tells us our part. What does the Lord require of you, O oh man, but to do what? to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. The secret things are for the Lord, but the revealed things are for us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Abraham didn't serve God by figuring out the mysterious, ambiguous will and ways of God. He served God by going when God said, go, and doing what God did. And he messed up like half the time. But then he got back up and kept doing it. Daniel. Do you think Daniel knew even a fraction of what he was getting into in Babylon? <laughs> he simply did what? He humbly walked before God and said, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, you are not the final authority. My God is. And I will follow him. He might save me. He might not. I don't know. But I serve the Lord. He didn't do something amazing and miraculous. Daniel did not. He did the right thing 
in the situation that God had placed him in at the time, and God did the miraculous, amazing thing with his life. And the reality is that you and I impact people constantly all the time, and we don't even realize it. I've been spoiled in that um, I've gotten to travel a lot in my life and like, you know, talk to different people and I, I've been really blessed to get to do some cool things. And I cannot tell you how mind-blowing it is when I have like, say, gone to New York and I'm going to some random, you know, tiny congregation and, and there's like this little Bible study going on before and someone runs up to me and they're just like, oh my gosh, you, you know, you blessed me, you impacted my life. Um, we have friendships. We have people in our lives. We have things that we contribute to in our local communities that we don't realize the impact we truly make. I'm sure you can all think of a friend or a family member or a loved one who has made the world of difference to you, to your faith, to your walk. Can you think of that person? They probably don't realize it. And you are probably that person to someone else. I'm just going to look at uh, a couple more scriptures. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 27. Now this is a really famous, this is a very famous chapter. Uh, and I'm not going to read the part that's usually read. But this is the chapter where Paul compares the body of Messiah to where everyone's a different part of the body. And they all work together. And God gives different gifts to different people. And they all work together in, you know, kind of mysterious ways. Some people are the toe. Some people are the nose, the eyeball, right? Some people have this gift, that gift. But skip down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Messiah and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping administration, various kinds of tongues. And you're reading this and you're like, yeah, none of those things. Yep. Gotcha. Are all apostles? Are all apostles? Are, yeah. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? So Paul goes through and he explains all these gifts that are distributed and how we're all different parts of the body. And then he says, but guys, not, not all of us are these things. And then he says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I think we miss this. Paul says, not all of us do these things, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And we cut it off then because chapter 12 is done, but guess what? It's all one letter. So in the context of Paul talking about spiritual gifts and people who prophesy and people who do this and that, he says, not all of us do these things. We should des all desire the higher gifts. And he goes into chapter 13. Skip down to verse 8 with me. I don't need to go all through chapter 13, the love chapter. You are all familiar with that, I'm sure. But in verse 8, he says this, and this is on the tales of talking about spiritual gifts and the calling that God has for us, and that these are the gifts that all of us should seek the higher way. As for prophecies, they pass away. 
As for tongues, they cease. As for knowledge, it passes away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even, I have, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love." Guess what spiritual gifts you definitely have? You can have faith. You can have hope. And you can have love. And Paul compares this to being mature in the faith and not childish. And we make a mistake in our faith communities when we view it the other way around. You see, many times we consider the topics of faith and hope and love the basics, right? These are the things you learn when you're introduced, but then there are the deeper mysteries. Like, I was on milk, but now I'm on meat. You know, gematria and prophecy and, and you know, these things. When Paul says, no, that's actually a little bit more childish. Faith, hope, and love are what the mature seek in the kingdom of God. Faith, hope, and love is what can make an Abraham or a Moses or Joseph or a Daniel. We, we talk about this with a popular phrase, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. And we always want to trade in what God has given us for what we think is a more amazing or spectacular way of serving God, when in reality the most amazing and spectacular way you can serve God is right in front of you all the time. With your spouse, with your kids, with your friendships, at your work. A man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And what does the Lord require of you, O man? But to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. We're all familiar with Ecclesiastes 12, 12, and 13, right? The making of many books, the gaining of much knowledge, it's endless. But what is man's whole duty? Fear God, keep his commandments. Or Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 and 13. Speaking of the Torah, Moses says, speaking of understanding God's will for how I'm supposed to live my life, as a servant of God, he says this, it's not in heaven that you have to say who will ascend to heaven and bring it down to us that we may hear and do it. It's not beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is the simple thing that's right in front of us the whole time. My encouragement for you today would be when seeking to be a servant of God, when you feel called and confused, and you feel like you're coming short, you know, to, to all these characters, realize the opportunities that are right in front of you constantly to do justice in that scenario, in that situation, to that person. To be merciful, 
and loving to that person in that scenario, in that situation. And to be humbly following the voice of God in that scenario to that person in that situation. And it's then that we can be confident we are walking out the will of God that he has placed right in front of us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the Shabbat, God. We thank you that you direct our steps. God, we believe you and we trust you. Help us where we don't believe you and we don't trust you. God, we love you and we want to serve you. Help us where we fail to love you and fail to serve you. Give us your strength, your, your grace, your direction in our lives and let us see where we can do justice and love your mercy and walk humbly before you as your servants. We bless you and thank you that we have the opportunity to serve you and of the amazing life you've given us each and every day. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Instead of building more walls, yeah. let's build more bridges. Yeah. Let's build more bridges. More bridges.